Welcome back to Restless. Here comes the nun. Doo -doo -doo -doo. <laughs> Our topic is about nuns We can today. edit that out, folks. We can edit that out. Go on. <laughs> but we don't want to. I'm Father Joseph from the, the Priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, along with Paul Carmelina and Diane, as today we talk about nuns. But we need to clarify what nuns are. Not N-O-N-E-S, but N-U-N-S. Like female religious. Not like people that have no faith. So, first of all, do you know nuns? Have you met nuns? Have you had experiences with nuns? Hey, Paul, did you discern becoming a nun? No, I, I never did that. No, nuns. I tried, but they, they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let you. <laughs> no. It's 21st century. You should be a <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so, do you know nuns? I know sisters. So, um, ah, so oh, for, let's make a clarification. Yeah, what is the difference yeah, between clarify. sister and nun? Um, yeah, so I think a nun lives a contemplative life in a cloistered setting, you know, so like a, a monastery, whereas a sister lives more of a, an active apostolic life um, outside of, you know, they're not cloistered and they normally, so there's some sort of like charism involved with their community in terms of what they do. Yeah. I think most people use the terms interchangeably. interchangeably. For, yeah. right. So yeah. for our episode, we'll probably just use it interchangeably. Yeah. But you're right. There is a distinction. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I don't know any nuns. I don't know anyone who's cloistered. But um, I do know sisters. And uh, I actually went to Spain, to Madrid, to um, the priest who was at St. John's, Father Andy, um, his community, uh, Los Hermanos del Amor Misericordioso. Um, Brothers of the Merciful Love, for yes. those who don't speak Spanish. Yeah, and so there's there's brothers and sisters there, and I went on a retreat um, in 2019, and I actually I stayed at the convent of the sisters, so there were about 50 of them there. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, so that was actually one of my first experiences of really talking to sisters. I had never, growing up, I, I don't think I met a sister. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely eye-opening to kind of see sort of the life, at least in that community that they lived, and, you know, every community is very different. That's for sure. You have quite a story with some nuns. I do. I know many sisters, um, not nuns like Diane, but I do know many sisters. I know, and I'm very dear friends with a woman who almost became a nun um, in a cloister. So there was one joke where I was talking to my brother who isn't practicing his faith. And he said, is it like a prerequisite for you for all of your friends to have been in a convent in some sort of capacity? Because <laughs> every time you talk about one of your friends, they're either in a convent, were in a convent, thinking about entering one. Um, and I was like, what a blessing. Like so many of, of my friends are, have, you know, thought about that journey for themselves. But yeah, I know, I know many, uh, many sisters. The, I'm very close with the community that I was discerning with. And they're just absolutely incredible. And what's amazing is that they are normal people, right? You can talk to them like, because many of them had lived out a pretty decent life before they entered. I think it's a little bit different than maybe in the 50s or 60s in religious life, where now I think women are kind of entering a little bit later in life. Mm -hmm. And they're having, um, you know, incredible degrees like aerospace engineers, doctors, lawyers, and then they're entering religious orders and using those talents that they gained in their career field to like glorify God in that vocation, which is really beautiful. And every sister in that community that that I that I know 
had a career before she entered the convent. So we could talk science, healthcare, finance, all of these different things. And it was really neat to see how each one of them were able to use their gifts um, and what, in religious what community life. was that that you discerned with? The Daughters of Mary of Nazareth. Mm. They are a really new community, actually. So they were founded, I think, in 2014, maybe. So relatively, really recently by um, Mother Olga of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. She's their mother boundaries and she is a living saint father i think you know or have I, seen I her, her once, met yeah. her yeah she's like Profound. She's glowing she like glows it's i've never seen anything like it and i think there's currently seven sisters in the order and they are an apostolic and contemplative community so they have adoration every day they pray the divine office go to mass every day and their their mission is to live out nazareth right so what that looks like is they tend to the needs of the community around them. Hmm. So they deal with um, people who had struggled with addiction, people in prisons. Um, they tend to the needs of the church. They work a lot with first responders. And really their convent is sort of an open home for people in whatever state of life in need can just come in and pray. Like, for instance, she had to receive, mother had to receive special permission during COVID, but she was able to keep the convent doors open for parishioners to come in and pray with our Lord and also receive him when many people were not. Beautiful. Wow. It's incredible. So, yeah. Paul, do you know any convents or any nuns? Um, yeah, no, I've had, I've had some pretty good interaction with um, religious brothers and sisters over time. When I was living in New York City, I lived in Brooklyn. Um, I was uh, participating in a lot of the Frazati Fellowship activities, so knew a lot of the CFR sisters, uh, Francis and Friar to the Renewal. So um, they, they had um, a convent up in uh, Harlem, and they had a soup kitchen. <clears throat> and then on Saturdays, folks would uh, rotate through and volunteer at the soup kitchen. So I got a lot of interaction with them. They're awesome. Um, similar, like they're normal people and they really are just trying to serve the community. Um, and then when I was growing up, we had, uh, so we didn't have any, I went to Catholic school. We didn't have any teachers that were sisters, but the director of religious education um, was uh, was Sister Lucy Scotta. She was about, she was Italian. She was about four foot six, maybe. Um, she was tiny and our pastor would always make fun of her for her height, which is really <laughs> funny. Um, and, uh, so she was, uh, she was, she was, uh, she was like my first interaction, I would say with religious sisters. Also, I had spent some time here and there for various events at the Franciscan Life Center up in Meriden, Connecticut. Mm. Um, they have, uh, all types of services. We did in eighth grade. We went up and did high ropes courses that they have there where you're supposed to, you know, trust the, do trust falls and stuff like that and so that was our eighth grade activity uh, when I was at Catholic school and also they have a big counseling center and, and all that kind of stuff so those are my initial interactions I've volunteered at the Sisters of Life in their convents um, and other facilities around Manhattan so nice yeah nice yeah. been to retreats and things where there's been religious sisters so that's beautiful yeah yeah I was very privileged during uh, COVID when everything was shut down there's no public masses the bishop our bishop allowed uh, the convents of nuns to still continue to have mass. Mm. And so the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's order, which is in Bridgeport, called me up and said, could you come w once a week? And sometimes it was twice a week to go say mass for them. And it was the nicest thing because I hadn't had a congregation in several months. And to say mass, especially for these holy women, mm. you know, mm. it was really inspiring to, to see them and, and to see how their heart was breaking because they were not allowed by their superior to go out and minister to the poorest of the poor, which they desperately wanted to do. But because of COVID, you know, no one was going in or out. And they had a lot of elderly sisters too, but uh, but it's always it's always great because most of those nuns are not American; they're mostly Indian, and you have like flocks of Indian nuns, and 
they're the cutest things. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't know, they're cute. Just... During COVID, when I, I went to visit uh, Mother Olga's convent during COVID, and I stayed there for almost a week, I think, and she was sharing with us that she was talking with the missionaries of charity close by, and they had to shut down their mission, like you said, Father. But they're like, we don't, we don't know what to do because we, we don't have people to minister to right now. So they, they took up gardening <laughs> and they were in their convent, like plant, like going to Home Depot, buying dirt, buying plants, and they took up gardening. They're like, oh, well, I guess this is all we can do right now. So <laughs> That's beautiful because their convents are always in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. So what a difference uh, that's making for the city, I'm sure. Right, right. That's really cool. So do you feel, and uh, so Lauren was the one that kind of wrote the questions for this, and, and Lauren was, and I were talking, and she said how like, you know, nuns have often a bad rap in today's society. Do you feel like that, like that's the case? Not in the Catholic community. I think a lot of the baby boomer generation that grew up with, like, uh, probably they may describe and may not be accurate, but may describe as the mean nuns in Catholic school. I think that, that probably might have something to do with it. I don't know. Right. Like the mean nuns with the mustache who carried around rulers. <laughs> and Yeah. Uh, this is what I've heard. Like, they'll just okay. like. My mom had that. My mom and, my, and her brothers and sisters. She had a mustache? No. No. <laughs> oh, no. She had, she had, oh, sorry. She had nuns that, that she grew up with that taught her both at elementary school at St. Eden's in New Haven, which is now defunct, and then Sacred Heart Academy in Hamden. They had had, um, they had lots of sisters that were teaching there. Um, it's a big issue in the Catholic school system because we had, uh, you know, these women who would who would teach children for not very much money, and the Catholic school education was a lot cheaper at the time. So mm-hmm. um, it was quite a gift. Um, although they they may have they may have been strict. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, yeah, very strict. And I think that there's also so many misconceptions about religious life where, where they're now in today's society, there's such a lack of formation that if someone even considers entering religious life, it's like, what a waste, mm. right? And they just, nobody, I don't think a lot of people have any sort of concept for a sister. It's like, oh, a sister is coming like, and there's this almost tension or taboo associated with it. It's, it's really strange. But once you get to know them, you realize like, hey, she's like smarter than I am, <laughs> you know, mm. like she can teach me more than I, than I actually know. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's actually more, uh, people are more open to when men are discerning the priesthood versus women discerning religious life. Right. And perhaps because everyone sees a priest every Sunday when they go to right, church, right, you know, right. but very rarely do Catholics see nuns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you, we, um, I've been to the, there's a, I believe Benedictine, uh, cloister up in Bethlehem, Connecticut, and they're famous for a couple of things. They make cheese. They call it Bethlehem cheese. And then so one of the nuns that is, I believe, became like the mother of the, was in movies with Elvis. There's a doc, like HBO documentary on her. Um, but Sister they're Dolores Hart. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're up in Bethlehem, Connecticut. And you can go up there. You can't interact with them because they are cloistered, but you'll see them. They have different habits for like different activities when they're, because they, they make cheese and they have cows and they have gardens. <laughs> and so they have like working habits and then their normal habits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can't interact with them. Yeah. And actually the shop is closed now because of COVID. So, oh, yeah. Alas. Because they also, they're artists as well. And they, they, they have a lot of uh, homemade art, pottery or paintings and things, plus cheese. So it's a plus eclectic, eclectic gift shop. Also, if you go up during the Christmas or Advent season, oh, the crash. they have the best crash because yeah. it's Bethlehem, Connecticut. So there's a, there's they a really cop- do it up. There's a copy of this cre- this famous crash, and it's amazing because it's I, I love it because it's star- I'm a nerd about this kind of stuff. So it starts off uh, the clothing of the people in the crash. It's massive, like hundreds of figures. Oh yeah. They start out as period to like the birth of Christ time, but then as you get farther out and all the people, it gets to be like Victorian clothing because that's mm-hmm. when it was made. 
And there's a copy of this crush, I believe, in Metropolitan Museum of Art. Really? Or there was. There travels around, but yeah. Oh, there's wow. a copy of it, but the real one's in Bethlehem, Connecticut. Wow. Okay, that's all about that. <laughs> <laughs> For me, my first exposure to nuns was the movie Sister Act. Did you ever see that movie? And they're Episcopalian, too, I believe. Sister Act? I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. I was only in fifth grade, so I don't remember their particular so. denomination. But I think so. I, I might be wrong. Being a little bit scandalized by Whoopi Goldberg in a <laughs> habit. but <laughs> It's funny. A bunch of the teachers at my school, uh, we had a talent show, I think. This was probably when I was in third grade. And a bunch of the teacher teachers did the Sister Act song, which was really funny. Oh, wow. They all put on habits. and You mean Hail Holy Queen? No. Oh, because oh, that, that's the song I remember from Sister Act. Yeah, I don't actually, I don't remember. That's a, that's a good point. I don't actually remember what song they did because I was nine or something. Yeah. I don't know. It was all the movie. You guys it, never seen it? I think I've seen bits and pieces, but I don't remember. I do remember. I have a vision in my head of would be Goldberg in the, in the habit, but mm, yeah. that's about it. But I mean, kind of going back to what Carmelina was saying, I was thinking about sort of, you know, the vows that sisters take, you know, so poverty, chastity, and obedience, and just like how the culture kind of views that. So I think it's a very... Um, like an, in a culture dominated by sort of consumerism and a focus on productivity and like how much, you know, how efficient are you, whatever. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand why religious would, you know, take a vow of poverty because they see that as, to your point, Carmelina, wasting time. Um, and then also in a culture dominated by sex, like they don't understand why someone would take a vow of chastity. And they see, you know, a lot of people, I think, see that as sort of like, why would you suppress these natural desires that's psychologically bad for you, all of those things? And then obedience to um, a culture dominated by sort of like right now the feminist movement. Uh, I don't think people understand really why women would, you know, take a vow of obedience and like submit themselves to others, you know? Um, so I think it's sort of a, a cultural thing in terms of where we're at now. And obviously people not really being formed either to understand that. Yeah. So they kind of look at them as like weird or socially inept or boring and that's like or like an escape almost mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, i mean i had i had prejudices too like when i went to visit the community in spain their charism is spiritual direction and everything and i was just i i was so shocked at how normal they were right. you know so i realized that i was sort of you know my own mind was kind of uh definitely influenced by the stuff that i had heard from other people hmm I think we forget that we are sometimes the wealthiest in our absolute poverty if mm. we have Jesus. And I, and I think that society misses that, right? And that's why it's easy or that's why a lot of these women through the grace of God and, you know, men entering the priesthood or brotherhood are able to give all of that up. I mean, it's funny. That's what um, St. Aloysius Gonzaga did, you know. Right. It's his feast day. It's his feast day mm -hmm. that we're recording it on June 21st. Yeah. That's what he did. But you know, you're, you're, what you're talking about makes me think, have you ever been to uh, the profession of vows for a nun or yes. a priest? It's so beautiful. And, and one of the images that they always bring up is that they are a bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so really it's like nuptial imagery and some, some of the orders get to wear rings after that. And it's a very kind of visible symbol. And some, some orders I've seen, um, we actually, in, in my, is it, I don't think we have any in this diocese, but in some dioceses they have consecrated virgins, mm -hmm. which are like nuns, but without an order. So you're consecrated to the Lord. And they, they come as a bride on the day that they're making their vows. And it's such a beautiful imagery that, you know, you're right. Not only do you have Christ, but you're wedded to Christ for eternity. Yeah, and that's the Sisters of Life, actually. They have a podcast, and they were talking during COVID about sort of that exact sort of, you know, they see themselves as as brides of Christ. And so it was 
it was heart-wrenching for them not to be able to, they didn't have the opportunity to, to attend mass. They did eventually, I think some of the friars came and did an outdoor uh, mass in the winter um, mm. and they could watch from their windows, participate oh from their window. Wow. Yeah. Um, but they, they talk about the, the two on the podcast, just talk about how, like what, uh, what a horrible experience that was of, of being separated from their beloved. Um, so, and it was, I mean, it was, it was really from the heart. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Father, did you ever consider religious life, uh, religious orders? There was one, um, the Legionaries of Christ, which I know are, are controversial in, in some respects because unfortunately their, their founder was involved in a scandal, Father Maciel. But the Legionaries of Christ um, were a very admirable order for me because they were the first priests I ever met who were real men. You know, I, I did not really grow up with parish priests that I thought were, were guys I would want to emulate. But the Legionaries of Christ, when I started, I started going to, to day retreats when I was probably 12 years old for them. And here were men who not only would pray very intensely, but then would also come play sports with us and would go hiking with us. And, and I saw that as very admirable. It was a very manly spirituality to show that you can be a real man and have a relationship with Christ. So I, I, I did go and kind of on a come and see weekend when I was in college up there to Cheshire. In Cheshire, Cheshire yeah. Connecticut. Yeah. It was and, about uh, two minutes from where I grew up. Yeah, and stayed there at their uh, house of formation, I guess. It's their novitiate house up mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the, thing, the thing I could never do about that is, is actually that vow of obedience. As a docetan priest, you take a vow of obedience to your bishop, but it's, it's of a different order. Because like my bishop will tell me, okay, go to this parish, go to that parish. But if you're in religious life, you have to ask permission to use your cell phone. You have to ask permission to go and buy a toothbrush. I, I would struggle with that. I would struggle with that. The other thing I saw with religious life that I think is very beautiful, but it's not my charism, is that um, for most religious, the community comes first and the ministry comes second. So if there's ever a conflict, they always choose their, their, their community. And a lot of times I've, I've tried to run a number of retreats at the Sisters of Life house in North Stamford. And they're always like, oh, no, we have community day. We have this going on. We have that going on. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so inconvenient. I'm trying to like do actual ministry with the people, you know. So for me, it's my desire was to do the ministry first and to really give myself to a parish, which is kind of, you know, being wedded to the church in that sense. Mm-hmm. But different, uh, different charisms. And that's what makes the body of Christ mm-hmm. so beautiful. Absolutely. They would play soccer out on their field, Legionnaires. They're so good. At, at all times of the year. Oh my gosh. At yeah. all times of the year in the same clothing. <laughs> It'd be like 20 or 100. It didn't matter. <laughs> that is true. And they, they could run up mountains. I've never oh, yeah. met people. Because the first time I ever kind of uh, had, went on a week-long retreat up in Cheshire when I was 13. Mm. And they went to, you ever been to Sleeping Giant State Park? Yeah. Of course. If, you, if you're from Connecticut or New York, please go to Sleeping Giant State Park. Best state park, I think, in the state. And they would, Paul's, Paul's not agreeing. I think it's great. Not I think it's intense. I was intense. I run it's half marathons hard, and I was like gas. It is like straight <laughs> up the mountain. And these yeah. these men, these priests were just booking it straight up a mountain. I'm yeah, like, whoa, wow. I'm totally I've impressed. done it in 90 minutes, the blue trail. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so back to nuns. Yes. So Well, thank you for your story. Thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> nuns do a lot of different ministries though. We talked you talked a little bit about school nuns. You never had nuns in the school, but I mean, do you know any of the ministries that some of these nuns do? You talked about, what, what is it? Yeah, spiritual, spiritual, direction? spiritual direction. So they do retreats and, um, yeah, I mean, their, their main thing is doing retreats and then they kind of, um, you know, like you, you sign up to, to speak to a sister during that silent retreat and get some spiritual direction and then they actually continue it through Skype um, throughout the year if, if you so desire. 
Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. We mentioned, um, we talked about the Franciscan friars. Generally, Franciscans are serving the poor, living among the poor, or something like that. They're also preachers, especially for priests. They're preachers. Mm. Talk about them. Also, sister, the Sisters of Charity, they certainly live on, among the poor, serve the poor and the sick. Oh, the missionaries of charity. Missionaries, sure. sorry, yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I think the little sisters of the poor. They, mm. I think they they minister to like the poor, the elderly who who need you know housing and, and care for sort of the whole person and reverence for the sacredness of life to the end. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think of like back in it's probably a little bit more so in the Civil War era, but there were a lot of nuns that ran hospitals. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and of course a lot of our yeah. Catholic hospitals were started by nuns. It was mm-hmm. probably none left. No pun intended. But <laughs> But well, there was, was the famous case in Connecticut with Little Sisters of the Poor, right? That was the one in Connecticut. Yeah, that's kind of more of like a, an elderly home. Oh, it is. A hospital, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But I know I was reading a story about a, uh, a Civil War, I guess, you know, a fighter. I forget whether it was Union or Confederate. And he got badly wounded by a, a cannonball or something. And he was taken in by the nuns. And, and the nuns used to basically set up hospitals wherever they could. And, and it's funny because I'm... I'm from Maryland, where there were several big battles. Um, my family lived in Gettysburg for a while, and I grew up not too far from Antietam. So we had like a lot of Civil War history in Maryland. And a lot of the buildings that we would see in that area, like churches and schools, would have plaques that say, during the Civil War, such and such congregation of nuns came in to set up a hospital right here and ministered to the wounded on the battlefield. And they never asked what their religion was. They didn't even ask what side they were on, whether they were Union or Confederate. If they were ill, they would be taken into this hospital. And this Union soldier was writing to the nuns and saying, you know, I've been taught to hate your religion. Because around that time, anti-Catholicism was huge in America. And I mean, they had burned down a convent of Ursuline nuns in Boston Mm -hmm. right before the Civil War. So there was so much anti-Catholicism. And this soldier wrote to the nuns and said, you know, I was taught to hate your religion. But if, if everyone in your religion is like you, you are like angels on earth. And I am now disposed to think so highly of, of your faith. And I think that's one of the main reasons why Catholicism became so well accepted in the 40s and 50s is because of the nuns and the heroic work that they did, the charity to really the people that were forgotten, the immigrants, you know, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini ministering to the immigrants and the sick. I mean, we see that today. I saw it firsthand when I was at in Boston with Mother Olga's order. When everybody was scared and running away, they were running to people. They were running to people. And it was so incredible to see they were the ones giving food to the hungry. They were the ones taking parishioners into their convent. Praise God, none of the sisters ended up getting COVID. Mm. But they were out there, right? They were out there in the midst of all the chaos and uncertainty and fear. And they were the bravest ones among us all. And she would, mother would bring the Eucharist to the protests. She would have mass said for the police officers they knew that there would be protests nearby and they were. she was trying to promote a message of unity and she would bring the protesters and the police together and give the Eucharist to the officers beforehand before they had to go out and wow. face it. I mean, it, it just incredible stuff that they were able to do in the face of a lot of uncertainty, sometimes hatred and fear. They were going in, they were going in and that was really special to see with no fear, but joy. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. Yeah. It reminds me of the story of St. Clair, who oh, you're yes. familiar with that story. There yes. was uh, one of the princes from, I think, somewhere in the Germany area. It was basically a barbarian prince was trying to take over much of Europe. And he came to Assisi and was about ready to burn down the town. And St. Clair heard about that. And she took the ciborium with the Eucharist. And she said to her sisters, do not be afraid. Is not Jesus in our midst? And she went out onto the balcony and held, up, held aloft the Eucharist. 
And it just struck terror in the hearts of these, these military men to see this fearless nun holding the Eucharist above them. And they, they all turned and fled and saved the city of Assisi because of St. Clair's faith and, and her devotion to our, our Eucharistic Lord. We need to see more examples of courage like that. Yes. Yeah, and I think, like, for example, the Sisters of Life, I mean, they've done just so much for my own heart and um, just the joy that they exude. And Have the, you been on retreat with them? I have not, actually. Um, but they, I, I do listen to their podcast, and um, it's just they tell stories about all of these women that they minister to who have had abortions, who are just in really bad, you know, positions. And um, they, they just... They, they take them in, they, they really care for them, um, they make them feel love, they show them Christ's love, and it's truly, um, it's, it's unbelievable, sort of, the ministry and what they're doing. Um, but I think people see sort of the authenticity in their interactions, and um, I mean, just listening to them, it's like the voice of an angel, you know, and so <laughs> it's, there's something different, and, and you, you sense it right away, um, and it's genuine, it's... They're, they're flooded with love for Christ, and that overflows into everything that they do and everything that they say. For many years, I, I still worked at this Catholic summer camp called Camp Veritas, and the Sisters of Life and the CFR sisters would mm-hmm. come. And I had these, these two uh, middle school boys, uh, Lucas and Franco, from this tough inner city parish in Stanford, took them up there to Camp Veritas. And, and every time I would be looking for them, like, where's Lucas and Franco? And like they're hanging out with the nuns and they made best friends with like this one nun named sister Mary Loretta, who is a legend in the sisters of life. And, and I was just so impressed that like, they were just so drawn by the joy of these sisters. And you could always find these like 12 and 13 year old boys just hanging out with the sisters. Cause it was the coolest thing to do at Camp Veritas. Plus they were really good at volleyball. <laughs> the sisters. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, First of all, should we as Catholics make an effort to get to know religious sisters? And if so, how do we do that? Where are we going to find them? Absolutely. They're, they're kind of everywhere. And I think it's important to, to get to know them within the, the means that, that we have and that we kind of need them. Like, for instance, I know several women in the community are um, receiving spiritual direction, direction from some of the sisters, a part of Mater Salvatoris. Mm. So... Um, that sister is used. And then I also work with the Sisters of Life. So I think it's also a matter of the church itself praying about what's their own calling, right? And maybe we could partner with the sisters in some sort of way and give them access to the people that need them the most, right? Because they also have some limitations within their community. Mm. So I think that's a good way. Well, how did you first hear about the Sisters of of Nazareth? Um, So I heard... Actually, what happened was I went on a, I was a member of the Legion of Mary at St. John's and they had little flyers. They were hosting a Lenten retreat in Stamford and that's what Mother Olga does. She goes around and gives retreats and it helps them raise money for the convent and she brings like the message of the gospel to everybody and she just like profoundly impacts like everybody she talks to. Um, that's just <laughs> a part of it too. And um she had come to host this Lenten retreat. And I remember her walking down the aisle of the church. And I had already committed to discerning religious life at that point, not sure about an order. And I had never been so captivated by someone's presence in my life. Like I, I it almost felt like the woman who um, in scripture was bleeding and she just wanted to touch the cloak of Christ. Like she just wanted to be in his presence, right? Didn't even have to talk to him, just wanted to be in someone's presence. 
And it took me three days to actually get the courage to talk with her because it was a three-day retreat. And that's how I met her. I just went up to her and said hi, told her my name. And I said, I'm discerning religious life without any expectation. I just wanted to meet her because she was so amazing. And she said, here's my email. Here's my cell phone. Reach out. Come as soon as you can. And then we were friends. Beautiful. And she was amazing. And I would go and it was the best. So if I think women are afraid to discern sometimes, but it was the best thing I ever did. The sisters taught me so much how to Mm. pray, how to love our Lord, how to be reverent, and also how to like live in community Mm. because that's very difficult. So it was, it was amazing. And they, they've taught me so much and I'd consider them family. Yeah. You really never lose anything by discerning. You know, I talked to a lot of men who are like, I don't know if I should join seminary. It's like, well, joining seminary is not signing on the dotted line. And even if you leave after two years, you're going to have a great experience of education and formation and, and like you had, you know, you discerned it wasn't your calling, but that everything that God did in you and through you for those, well, how long were you in there? For I would, I was discerning with them for probably a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So, so that formed who you are. And it that's did. A beautiful thing. Yeah. And they, they've taught me so much. They're just amazing. So I just want to end this with a challenge for a couple of people. First, if you're a young woman, be open to that calling to be a bride of Christ. There's nothing more exalted and beautiful than to give your entire life to Jesus. He is the great fulfillment. If you're already married or perhaps have discerned that God is calling you to marriage or another vocation, get to know some sisters. Go volunteer with them. Go knock on the door of their convent. Unless they're cloistered, they may not like that. But but get to know them because they are such a wonderful treasure and a gift to the church. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Restless. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Radio, 1350 AM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.